Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Phil Tiger. Slacker Hello Slackers, I hope you're all good. Um, if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, P-Tag sounds a little bit out of breath. He's not uh, his old shouty self. Well, it's because I'm doing this in the dead of night. Um, sort of the last minute before I put this um, online because we got a little puppy today. And I was meant to do the edit all day. And do you know what? Playing with a new puppy is way more fun. Come on, you know it. This week's podcast is with the one and only, yeah, you guessed it, you read the title, you know, it's with James Blunt. He is such a fascinating dude. I've wanted to interview him for ages. Like, he's just had such a storied life from his life in the army, selling the the biggest selling album of Naughties. And the fact that he's just so, 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 so funny um, on Twitter. So he uh, took some time out to do the podcast with myself at the end of November last year. Back in the long, long, long ago. And we sat down and it's probably one of the funniest Slacker podcasts that I've ever done. And it is here for you. In just a little minute. Big up to everybody who is supporting the podcast on Patreon. You guys know who you are. You're, you're keeping the lights on at uh, Slacker Podcast Headquarters. If you um, have been burning through these podcasts like a lot of people have been. And you want to support them. And you want me to sort of continue doing it. Then feel free to reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Philly Taggart. Or support the podcast at Patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast there should be links and all the the like um below and of course i've written about the slacker's guide to the music industry which you can get from com. there we go there's all the ads out of the way let's get to the slacker podcast with james blunt in three two hold on denny's have a good name for a female dog it's gonna be quite a small dog it's a pom poo half pomeranian half poodle 
If anybody has any suggestions, yeah, tweet or Instagram me because we still haven't thought of any. Um, I wanted to call it Spud, but apparently not. In one, here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, James Blunt. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm not too bad. How are you? Yeah, really, very well. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. So, so the, the, the first time, the first time we've um, properly met, like, uh, I mean, what, like five minutes ago. My first impressions are pretty good. We're going well so far, as far as the first date goes. <laughs> You're coming pretty, back it, to it, my it, house. It's pretty good. <laughs> and I don't put out on a second date, so now's your chance. Ah, oh, <laughs> it was a wasted journey. Um, so how how how's things like how how is like um the end of November of 2019 when we record this treating you? I'm I'm having a blast actually. Um, I've just put out a, an album of mine called Once Upon a Mind. Um, and it's been my highest chart place for about six or seven years now, and I'm just about to kick off on a world tour. What what was the what was the spark on this record? It seems to have like a misery. Really? Yeah, misery sells. Um, and I'm tapping in on that. Um, my dad's not been very well, and I've been cashing in on that too. Um, and uh, and so and then I and I've got a little family, and I go away on these tours for 18 months at a time, which um, my wife would say is um, is very lucky of me. Um, my mates say I've nailed it. Uh, yeah, I've <laughs> but, heard that before. But, yeah, but um, but you know, and I leave her to pick up the pieces. But all of that gives quite a lot of inspiration for an album that that um has, say, has real things. Yeah, I'd I'd say that the the conversations that you have maybe eight or nine months into a tour aren't exactly roses and um and cream like everybody's like oh how, and how's your tour and you're like well how are the, the children yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's hard to convince anyone that it's a real job because it isn't no it's definitely not but like, it's it's hard. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean to say that it's not hard work yeah thank you do you know what i mean great like and my I, wife can listen to this where it's well, yeah, just um, Pornhub.com. Perfect. Um, <laughs> Alice Cooper said that he doesn't get played. He's like, when when he talks about the, the money he's earned, which I'd say is quite considerable, he's still playing arenas. I saw him play, actually, in Brighton a long time, uh, a couple of months ago. He said, in regards to touring, that he doesn't get paid for playing the gig. He gets paid for all of the tour, uh, the traveling in between. Yeah, Exactly. I mean, it's hard to complain about. In any way, it's an amazing job. So yeah, um, but it's definitely being away from home and being away from a little family. That um, it's uh, that has been my inspiration behind this album as well as what's going on with my dad. And so, mm-hmm. and so really, I suppose my previous albums, I've always thought about the audience. They've been in the room slightly. You know, having had that big uh, hit of Back to Bedlam many years ago. Yeah, of course. After that, then you start to think, oh my God, there's an audience, and what would they like to hear? And 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 then just even in the studio, you can sort of sense that presence and that pressure. Um, but because of the things that've been going on at home. I feel kind of uh, I feel released from all of it's that. It's like like when the, you hear the actors say it's like one for them, one for me. Like yeah. when you see hear of like an actor like going doing like a blockbuster, and then doing like the little independent film that they wanted yeah. to do. That's yeah. just more like maybe their own thing. Yeah, totally. And I feel that one is this this album once upon a mind has been for me. The weird thing is, people are connecting with it more because it's just more honest and more genuine. But the that's that's I think that happens sometimes. It's like well. It, it, the the thing that you probably you probably went into it with the expectations of it not doing as well as it did if you thought it was just for you but that ended up being more real and therefore worked better yeah and what I found really well what I found about this is I find I've yeah I haven't been in this business for so many years this on this album I know I'm no longer in the music business 
I'm just in the music. Yeah, which yeah. has been you know, uh, which is where I started and when I, which I really <laughs> enjoy because that's you know I was in it in the first place because it was my m- most amazing way of communicating my you know what was going on inside, um, and and then it became a job and and so yeah now it's just nice to be back where I started. That's I mean that's it's come full circle. Let's hopefully the, the business doesn't get back into it and then it has to go uh, version two point oh three point oh exactly. Um, but I've got a demo here which I'm sort of valiantly trying to to find. Um, that's not your demo. That's um, Big Nasty's demo called "Different Girls." Yeah, we should probably listen to it. <laughs> we should. We should <laughs> whack it on, um, or, or regardless. Um, but I do have a demo um, from you, and I'll play a little bit, a bit of it, and then we'll talk after we hear it, and you can tell me sort of a little bit about it. I'll play a minute of it here. That was an early demo of I'll Take Everything. 
Um, normally we go with demos from the the very beginning. I'm I I don't know where in this in the, the wide pantheon of your discography this one is the sits. Yeah, it was um, it, it was I wrote this in Ibiza, um, with a, a man called Egg White, and uh, I was going through. I'd gone through the most amazing roller coaster ride, the most amazing you know mill uh, really. Um, I'd left the army, made an album, I put it out, called Back to Bedlam. It had one massive hit on it called You're Beautiful, um, and it sent me on this incredible world tour. Two and a half years I toured, um, and uh, That's a long, and, long tour. Yeah, and it was massive. It was uh, that album was the biggest selling album of the noughties. and with that incredible success came an incredible negativity. Um, there was a backlash. Uh, uh, towards the ubiquity of that song, and uh, and um, and uh, and I found myself kind of uh, in a place where people were, yeah, um, were quite aggressive towards me. And my I've music. seen I've seen it on Twitter. Like a, I mean, like we can get that at some point. But like, yeah, like a, they're, they're, it, it, that song in particular became sort of like a, a almost like one of those like lit torches. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was a kind of shock to begin with because you think, hey, I've just put a song out and if you don't like it, just <laughs> turn the volume down on the whatever radio station you listen to or, or turn over. Um, but instead, people quite, felt quite uh, aggressive, vitriolic towards it. And so anyway, um, with the money uh, from that song and that album and that, that tour, I bought myself a, a house in Ibiza. And I, uh, I sat out there thinking, yeah, you know, I better have this house in Ibiza because there's quite a lot of negativity <laughs> back yeah. in the grey old country in which I came from. Um, did, did, and, did, uh, did that house and having it out in Ibiza manage to sort of like help you like quell going like, listen, guys, fuck, the, fuck you. I've, yeah, this has bought me a house yeah, in Ibiza. Yeah, to a degree. I thought, you know, well, you know. I suppose, I, yeah, it was a, a, just a weird place. I sat there and thought, well, I, I better have this because I'm going through a fair amount of negativity. Mm. Um, and, um, and you know, and this, is the, this is the plus side. I need to invite some friends around. Um, and, uh, and so I sat down. <laughs> a better at, place for it. I sat down at a piano there and, and, and I wrote, I'll take everything in it. I mean, you know, and it was referring to I'll take everything, all the abuse, <clears throat> all the negativity, everything that could be thrown my way um, and suck it up. Um, yeah. uh, and uh, and yeah, and it was you know with a fist in the air saying, "Come on, I'll take it all." <laughs> like, did it get to the point where it ground you down so far that you just couldn't? It didn't even mean anything anymore when people would say stuff. Um, well, I th- I think I got it all out on my second album. Um, I wrote an album which was which was darker than my first, and my first was pretty miserable. Um, but it yeah. was a, it was a darker album. It was, it was um, it was called All the Lost Souls. And you can tell by the title mm-hmm. um, where I was going with that one. Um, and, and it was just a, yeah, a, a guy who'd followed a dream and then come across um, uh, so much anger in the world just by me, um, you know, um, having some kind of success. And so I wrote a very deeply um, dark album uh, uh, from that. And I've got it all out of there. And after that, I thought, well, you know what? I've done my bit now. Now I might as well go out there and smile because it's a really great way of life. <laughs> and I'm having a blast. And why do I? Why should I worry about what they're saying? And I certainly shouldn't complain. Let's get on the road again. Um, and ever since then, I've been. Um, I've recognised that you know what? If you put your head above the parapet, you're going to get shot at. Um, and and people can be rude about you and say, hey, you're middle of the road. But they're saying that from the safety of the of the pavement. But then, at the same time, like there's a. Like eleven was it eleven point two? Probably it's probably gone up by by the last time. But eleven point two million people bought that record. I wouldn't say eleven point two million people have given you abuse on <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. Do you, like, do you know what I mean? It's always it's it's. And I I can 
uh, speak from experience from like the, like putting yourself out there on radio to a very like I mean to a very much smaller scale than you but like yeah I've had people give off shit to me before and I really kind of enjoy it in a perverse way because it means that people care or or at least it's co- provoking a conversation yeah um and and I've definitely I definitely got used to it um but I suppose with a song, you know, you're just trying to capture an emotion in a song. And for mm. someone to really just say, I hate James Blunt, <laughs> you know, when you just go, there are many things I hate in the world. Yeah, yeah. And they're normally people who are, you know, violent, evil, <laughs> saying anything. Well, <laughs> whatever you do, you're going to get, you know, some grief for, for and it's uh, and it's easy to get bogged down and talk about the negativity when actually, uh, uh, on the whole, the positivity far outweighs yeah, it. And yeah, if I, I'm doing always. concerts in arenas um, and there are 20,000 people there, why is it that I should start to get my knickers in a twist about yeah. um, a, a negative tweet from the guy who probably had his trousers around his ankles and was on his own in his bedroom <laughs> saying, I don't like your music? <laughs> You're, you should be on radio. You're really good at painting an image with words. <laughs> um, so, like... Uh, we go, we go back to the sort of very, the very beginning at the start. Like, what what was like uh, the music life in 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 your home like? Like, what was being played on the on your sort of? We did long we did these long long car journeys because um, my dad was in the army, so we were permanently in the car going from the UK to Germany and stuff like that. Yeah, um, or even out to Cyprus, and you know, and uh, um, we, we were permanently traveling. Hong Kong is where we lived, uh, and as far uh, abroad as Yorkshire too. Uh, and so uh, we were permanently in the car, long old journeys, and really, my parents had, as far as I can remember, two tapes, maybe three. In fact, they had um, the Don McLean album. Um, probably the best of the Beatles and the best of the Beach Boys, and that was it. It could be, it could have been worse. It could have been worse, absolutely. Although three albums is a bit of a stretch when the multitude of miles that like, you've just uh, sort of put in front of us. Yeah, but. and eventually it starts to become a slight nightmare. You know, little douche scoop by the by the Beach Boys on repeat. Eventually, <laughs> all the things of nightmares when you've really uh, hit it um, for too too long. Yeah, here in Yellow Submarine. Five times in one journey would be, be enough to sort yeah. of like do me, but um, like did th- 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 that stuff seep into you via osmosis, or was it something the musical love, something that came later? Um, I think you know my mum was very good at, uh, at giving me a musical background. She really wanted me to learn uh, the violin, age four. But my only memory of this was with other children. I'm um, playing hot cross buns. All of us walking around a table on, on on which there were some hot cross buns, and we would all go around in an anti clockwise direction. And so I think we were probably involved in some kind of satanic ritual. <laughs> yeah, Luc- uh, Lucifer. Was beamed through the through, yeah. through the floor. Um, and, and anyway, so having been you know found an excuse to get out of that, um, I then was forced to play the piano from about age seven. And I, as far as I remember, that was just Mozart's Sonata in F sharp minor, which is not really a great track to play to your mates. Yeah, you exactly. Say, hey, you know, What's I'm up, learning guys? this. Let, let me play you this. Not really anyone was very interested in that. So. Just got my nose pierced. We're going to go around <laughs> to my house and play some. <laughs> so it wasn't until I was about fourteen that um, and then I'm at a boarding school up in uh, in London. And, uh, you know, because my, my parents are away a lot, and that sort of gives me a, st- a stable kind of upbringing. Yeah, yeah. And the guy in the next door room has got an electric guitar, and he's playing in a Fender Strat. And suddenly, uh, um, I think, you know, hang Give on, if that. I can learn three chords on that, I'll have a career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, like, I, I mean, that's the perfect time to get into playing the guitar, is, like, thir- sort of 13, 14, 15, because you've nothing better to do. Like, when, when you're at that age, you're, like, it's way before you can go out into the town or, or drift out to, into the world as you yep. want you have nothing but spare time to learn and play absolutely and it's also um a time when you start to become an individual 
yeah, um, and start to have your own ideas um, start to see your place in the world and that's what's really exciting about it and actually if you listen to most teenage songs you know even from I'm sure the likes of Bowie and Lennon and Paul Simon you, mm. your teenage years are when you just have these incredibly strong hormonal thoughts about your individuality big time like uh, I was really a, a big fan of Ash and like you know like Ash like they're what was it 1977 came out when they were like still doing their GCSEs and stuff like Amazing. that but like it's just really good sort of punk 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 rock pop punk um what was it can you remember the first riff that you played on on the guitar I think mine was like Mission Impossible I can't exactly I'm mean, like you know I can remember the chords I was played uh, and because you know at that stage you really do only need three or four chords I think I'm still looking for the elusive fourth <laughs> chord um but uh but yeah, I definitely had musical ideas, which I never really completed into musical into songs. They were just ideas at that stage. I didn't know about, you know, the notion of uh, a middle eight, you know, versus chorus and a middle eight. You don't know yeah. that kind of stuff at all. But um, but I remember, you know, something like Wise Men on my first album. I started writing that when I was fifteen years old. Really? Yeah. Was that like one of the first songs you ever? Yeah, absolutely. To write? And I didn't finish it till I was, you know, about twenty five, ten years. That's in the crazy, making. isn't it? Yeah. Like, like you, you always like. That's what I always say to like any artist that I work with. On my, I run a small DIY label. It's just like never throw it away. Because like you'll, it'll come back to you in some some shape or form. Yeah, definitely. If there are good bits in there, and you know, and I often don't write stuff down because if it's good enough to remember, then yeah. you know, then it'll stick in your mind. It's good enough to put in somewhere. What was it like um, in boarding school? Like, was it was it something that you could? you could do you could like start a band in, in boarding school or like were you just sort of sit, sitting around on the edge of beds playing guitars yeah I'm um, more on my own really I think um, it's uh, yeah I mean if you're into beatings and buggery it's great but for um, uh, music it was harder um, th- I think you have incredible opportunities you know you have music rooms and stuff like that but I think it was it's it's yeah f- as far as things like bands it was it wasn't that much going on yeah yeah so like um when um when was it like you wrote your first like first complete song and you were like felt real proud of it you were like wow this is this is mine it's a bit of me this is yeah I mean I if you, if I started probably when I was fourteen um and I I went from school university army I mean throughout all that time I was writing songs putting them together making demos having not a clue as to what to do with them or who to go to yeah no one uh, um knew anyone in the music business at all um and so it was all just a kind of journey of going down 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 the wrong path so did you you had space to be t- terrible for for quite a long time before you sort of release music to the world yeah absolutely everybody needs that that. everybody needs that right totally and also more than that i also had time to find inspiration because um because you know although you might have lots of um hormonal ideas when you're a teenager you don't have much world experience and knowledge and so i was really glad for my time in the army um because that gave me some kind of world view that i could then write songs about if you go to um like from from like boarding school to to university and then to the army afterwards the the time in between with the university is it, it you don't have your life almost set out for you the same way you did in school and the same way you do in in the army was it was it different kind of like having those like spare years from like 18 to 22 um yeah i mean i kind of well i was having an amazing time at university because i'd been in an all boys school and suddenly I was <laughs> released into bristol um and you know uh, and uh, and so it was a great sense of freedom but yeah i had a i had a, a clear path in my mind i knew i wanted to be a musician but I also owed the army a whole load of money because they'd paid for my school and they were paying for my university. Um, and so as a result of that, I just knew, okay, I'm going to join the army, but I'm going to be a musician after that. So life has been... I mean, that worked out pretty, probably worked out pretty okay yeah. in, as terms of planning go. But like the, the army lineage r- runs real deep in your family. Like, did you feel that sort of like vocation, that call? 
Uh, well, I mean, not so much as just I owed them the cash and had no way, no way around it. Yeah. yeah. Um, as I say, you know, because my father was traveling overseas, the army then give you the opportunity of subsidizing um, schooling in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in a boarding school. Um, but then if you do that, you owe them back, back and there's no way of paying them back unless you give it with time. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so I joined just because it was the easiest way of paying them back. I'm really glad for it. It gave me a, a, the, the greatest education in the world because having come from a very protected background of the army, of, sorry, of, of this boarding school yeah. way of life, the army mixes you with all walks of life. You know, I'm, you're then working and reliant on a team for, with uh, of people who are from every corner of our country, um, and uh, and they, you know, no one, a soldier doesn't suffer fools uh, at all. You know, they'll <laughs> tell you if you're being a twat, even if you, they might say you're being a twat, sir. <laughs> they'll, yeah, yeah, they'll still make it very clear to you in different ways um, that, 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 that must... you're being an idiot, and that's very healthy. Was that a was that a, a, a culture shock? Because like, I mean, like. Even like somebody like me, like moving into the, the time when I was a teenager from the countryside, like I li- like lived across from an estate and had to become streetwise really, really quickly. Otherwise, you were going to get your head kicked in every day. Um, when you when you join the army, do you have do you have to like completely sort of switch your mindset around or? Um, I suppose you, they're just you know it's you're you're no. I think you're 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 thrown into Sandhurst if you want to become an officer. That's probably the biggest shock because having come from university where you're totally free, um, and you know, and and university, wow, my final year of doing six hours a week and watching Home and Away and Neighbours twice a day, uh, they, um, they, and going from like six pound for six shots, yeah. and, then, and then you're up at six a.m. <laughs> exactly, it's just a you know incredibly free way of life, and suddenly you're in the army and sleeping on the floor beside your bed because your bed has been measured with you know you've used a Bible to measure the folds of your bed, and it's a work wow. of art that took forty five minutes, and you're not going to sleep in it because that would ruin your work of art because they're going to inspect that in the morning, and the and the curtains are pleated on the windowsill and they're fantastic and you know your cupboards your socks everything is just absolutely measured and immaculate and in the morning someone's going to come in with white gloves and they're going to put that white glove in your nose and say what's that and you're going to look on their white glove and go it's dust sir and oh they go God. yeah it's fucking dust <laughs> and you go well you know you want to say well it's not my dust is it because I just cleaned there but, you know I got up at 5am to clean that area that you've just swiped with your white <laughs> gloved hand anyway you can't say that you just say uh, yes sir it's dust sir they throw open the window they throw out the contents of your room um and then you stand there and say thank you sir my god and so oh. that is a fair old shock having come from the freedom of university but you get in the swing of things pretty quickly yeah you, you kind of have to you, you gotta got sort of keep on swimming what, what's your bed like now like, do, you, do you still hold that immaculate and i still yep. sleep on the floor it's beside still... <laughs> it yeah take pictures each you should night, have like so a little like, like one of those like you know when they like, used to do sleepovers we'd have the blue up bed just beside it <laughs> perfectly which is why if you think about you know my most famous video, You're Beautiful. Yeah, you can yeah. see when I took off my clothes and I took my possessions, I mean, they're positioned exactly perfectly because it makes <laughs> you attention to detail within the it, army is really important. It gives you, yeah, it gives, it gives you that sort of like brain space. I mean, I don't, I like, maybe maybe it would have sorted me out. I don't know. Um, um, but you like learned like so many like valuable things when you when you were in there. Like, and the one that sort of wanted to talk about was a pilot license. Like, you, you got that. You're, 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 Father was like massively into yeah my my dad's, in aviation. My family. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We've been flying. My dad was a helicopter pilot um, and in the army. Uh, and uh, and so, yeah, they just do this thing. It's, you know, they offered up at school, which is an RAF scholarship. And I thought, hell yeah, I'll definitely do that. That's just I mean, me. it sounds like the most rock and roll one to do, right? And so I could fly a plane when I was 16 before I could drive a car legally. You know, I turn up on a, on a scooter, on a moped, fly a plane around the place, you know, and hadn't yet even let learn to drive a car. It was madness. Is that something you like? You, you still do? Do you have to keep your hand in it? Yeah, that? you do. Um, not realistically that much. Um, you don't have like an airliner like John Travolta. Um, no, no, not yet. I mean, fortunately, there's less to to hit when you're up in the air, isn't there? You know, the, on a, in a car, there's quite a lot to bang into, but in a plane, there are there's not so many things. They're all kind of soft and fluffy like clouds. Um, so you, so it's not that it's not too hard. And I actually bought my dad, um, I bought him a biplane, but it came in 10,000 pieces and he built it in the garage. And I really never thought he'd actually finish it. It took him a year and a half. We thought that'd be great. They'll just keep him, in, keep him busy. And then 18 <laughs> months later, he walked out with his biplane and, and, uh, and now flies that around like looking like Biggles. That's, that's absolutely crazy. I didn't know you could buy and assemble your own plane. Yeah, absolute madness. I mean, the first flight is quite. The first flight is quite a frightening thing to watch. Yeah, it'd be like the, I, I sort of have this image in my head of like you know those Wright brothers planes that yeah. they had like from the very very beginning. Yeah, where it's not like... too. It's not too dissimilar to that. <laughs> I like. I might like. I'm. I'm not a fairly nervous flyer as it is, so I might, I might take a pass in getting into that one maybe. <laughs> um. So like we like was did the your time in the army provide like a um sort of inspiration for, for the, the music that you were writing? Was it like a, a good creative place to, to make music? Yeah, it definitely was. And, you know, there's a fair amount of time in the army too because you're being sent to these places um, and, you know, on operations with, um, with your team of soldiers and, and you, you know, you're kind of rushed to get ready and there's a lot of hanging around. You can see and experience all kinds of things, many of them pretty awful, and lots of them, you know, then an inspiration to write about. And so my first album has a song called No Bravery, and it's about the Kosovo War where I served in 99, um, and it was a place where, you know, the, of mass genocide, really. Serbs were killing um, the Kosovo Albanians and the Kosovo Liberation Army um, were, were fighting back, and uh, and it was bloody and violent. It was the humans at their worst. And, yeah. and in those cases, you don't... It was very easy to write, 
because I didn't need to use my imagination at all. Um, it just kind of you just describe the things around you, and they're pretty horrific. It's really more it's it's more documenting than trying to to pluck something out of the ether, really, isn't it? Very much, and and weirdly, well, not even weirdly. Obviously, uh, when I found myself trying so hard to write songs and using my imagination, then you know they're never that convincing. And we're talking about you know my first album and, and now my this current album. Mm. I have exactly like this current album. I haven't used to have to use my imagination. I'm just writing about my dad being ill, and and the song writes itself. And and so yeah, that's why I suppose being in the army was at least an opportunity to have a hell of a lot of things to inspire you. Does that mean that these albums are like brother and older brother, or like very much they, so. he's like uh, back to battle and and, and uh, once upon a mind or very much so brothers? That, yeah, totally. And and you know, once upon a mind. If you think about the titles of that versus back to bedlam they're related in that way too the mind is a lonely place you can lock yourself in there and and and, and the, the, this last album is the story of that and uh, like do, do you have the same sort of catharsis coming out of the writing process of it than than you did in the in the first one absolutely um yeah um, as i say you know it's, it, this is why i got into music in the first place is because as a you know british man um, coming out of the army and boarding school, I'm bound to you're, be emotionally you're, you're stunted. Aren't your I? upper <laughs> lip must be so stiff that you could probably <laughs> barely break that's cars why I talk off it. with this ridiculous accent because <laughs> the lip's not moving. Um, and uh, and so yeah, totally emotionally stunted. And music was a great way of getting it out. When it, when I was doing my um, research, I was out like um, earlier in the week. Um, I came across one bit and I was like, that can't be true. And I, I, yeah, I wasn't going to ask it, but you, you bring it like we sort of half brought it up there. When you had signed to your management, which we'll come sort of come back to in a minute, when it came to signing to record labels, there were some record labels that were quite uh, like standoffish about signing you because you spoke with a posh accent. Is that true? Um, yeah, absolutely. I was um, offered a, a deal by Virgin, an amazing man there who I love, called Philippe Ascoli, um, who'd signed some great bands, Air and um, and some others, um, some French bands. He's a Frenchman, and and the deal was out there, and they, you know it was on the table, the paper it was there, and then they were talking about, hey, you know, so we love what you do, love your music, and but the marketing guy said, but we do have a problem with your speaking voice, and can you do another accent? What? Yeah. And like, at what point do they think that you're not going to get caught out having to do interviews yeah. or go all around the world? And you're like, oh, yes, oh, geez, this is, this is one from back of bed. Yeah. <laughs> what um, accent did they want you to do? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I said at the time that I can do probably an Indian accent. It's probably the best accent I could get away with. Um, but like, my, my manager said, come on, I think we're in the wrong place. Yeah, I think, I mean, if somebody... I mean, it's such a major, like a typical major label trope thing to to do is to try and change the the artist that's that's in front of them. Yeah, totally. You know, and and within the music business, marketing is a big deal, absolutely. But um, but it kind of depends on what kind of music you're doing. And and my music has always been just very open and honest and very raw, and it, it needs to be um, it needs to be seen to be as as much. Um, and so yeah, I need. To, who I am. So we want to, uh, to invest all of this money into you, uh, into your management and uh, all the rest of it. And we want to sign you because you're you. But, yeah. but, <laughs> could you shave your eyebrow off? <laughs> or, but, yeah. Well, they could have just said, hey, just don't talk, which, was my, <laughs> which probably would have been actually fairly sound advice. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if it had got you away from having to do um, interviews, you probably would have been happy enough, yeah, I'm sure, right? Um, but, like, so, sort of almost going back to that. So, you've come, you've, when you um, le- left the army, um, you had a lot of time, I'd imagine, to, think and sort of plan your career in your head was it difficult getting the songs together 
Like, like how quickly after leaving did you? Yeah, I mean, start? I really. It's a weird thing getting into the music business, having a dream, because uh, unless you know someone in there, um, it, it's you just have no idea where to start. Um, it, you know, there's no kind of form you can send off with yeah. your CV. It doesn't work like that. So you think, okay, I make a demo and I'm going to send it to record labels, and actually that's entirely the wrong thing to do. Um, I, I would think, or at least in my experience, because you know, record labels, you have one shot with them, and they kind of need everything to be in place. Mm. Um, and so I was doing my final job in the army was the, I was the Queen's ceremonial bodyguard in London. Um, and uh, does that a, does that mean you wear like the the red I was tunic? A, yeah, I was a horse guard. I, I rode beside the queen on a, in a, on a horse with a helmet uh, and a, and a armor and a sword, and I was mic'd up to the police. And you know, she'd oh ride along in the carriage, and I'd be riding beside her. So when you're mic'd up, like, do you have like a little button to yeah, press, exactly. like un, underneath your uniform, where you can go? Yeah, totally. Wow. Carrying quite a lot. I've got four reins, a sword, a microphone. Um, you must lose so much weight doing that because like you're, you've got so much stuff on you. Yeah, I mean a fair whack. Um, well, they were made up for by drinking in. London uh but you know so anyway that's what my day job was and uh, and by night I'd go out and play gigs and I'd be asking record labels to come on down I'd be doing these um shows and you know and and, and saying that I was looking for a record deal and actually on reflection it was the wrong thing to be doing what you really want to be doing is you want to get yourself a manager you yeah, know because yeah. a manager will just guide you through the, uh, the the right through the right doors and and introduce you to the right people because you know at that stage then when I did find myself a manager who I signed to um or had you know a verbal uh, agreement with um 2 weeks after I left the army because I'd met him before right, um, yeah. is uh is you know he'd help me record by demos um go and see let's say a music publisher before a record label um That's so, that a smart way some, of doing so it. i can get some you know financial backing from a publisher to help me write some songs that we know will be on the album that then the record label will go okay look you've got a publisher you've got songs you've got a manager we know who you are we don't have to think too hard about this we can just make you a record that's and go. it yeah and, and, and like what, what a record label is at the end of the day is it's a marketing team and a bank loan Exactly that, and that's and there's not much more to it other than that. I mean, there's a lot of different facets to it, and they do what they do very, very well. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not, and I've had a very close relationship with mine. I'm, I'm on Atlantic Records now. I was originally on Custard Records who signed me because having had the struggles in the UK, I went to America. I signed to a um, a woman called Linda Perry. She was in Four Non Blondes. Um, oh yeah, okay. And, and she signed me to Custard, yeah. and then it's marketed to Atlantic. And Atlantic have looked after me phenomenally well around the world. But what I was doing wrong when I was looking for a record deal was was saying to people. I can be anything you want me to be. Yeah. That, you don't want that. You need to say, this, this is who is, I this am. This is what I am. And yeah. this, this is what I do. And that's why, like, you know, like modern artists that are crossing over in a big way, like Stormzy, um, say, for example, like are doing so well because they, they, they've known who they are since the very, very beginning. And there was never a second sort of thought about that. Yeah. And it's that blind confidence, isn't it? To, to say, you know, I know the path I'm on and that's what I'm going to do. And, and it took me a long time to, to find that. And uh, rather than just, yeah, saying I'm, I'm flexible. Does that mean Back to Bedlam was on Custard Records? Yeah, totally. So what I did is... Um, Custard Records must be like the richest DIY label in the world. <laughs> um, it, it was it was a great journey. So yeah, I... Uh, it's like what Adele did for XL. Yeah, so um, yeah, having struggled out you know, in the UK, then I, I went out to the South by Southwest Music Festival in Austin, Texas. I've been there, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a good time, isn't it? Really fun. Um, I took a couple of musicians with me, one of them being Jimmy Hogarth, who was re- recording my demos with me. I mean, he was working with other people like Adele at the time, actually, before long before any name, you know, anyone had heard of Adele working with a girl called Sia long before anyone had wow, heard of Sia. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he and I went out there. We played on the 20th floor of some Ramada hotel, I think it was, and, and a woman walked up to me straight away after and said, I want to sign you to my record label. And that was Custard Records. She took me to Los Angeles, 
you know, said, you know, let's choose you a producer, and uh, and away we went. And you know, she, I think she just, you know, chucked chucked her money down and gave me the opportunity I needed. That's that's crazy. Like I, I love hearing the stories like that. Like I think that's it's always just a, it's it's it kind of reignites something in your soul to know that like there's those random moments that can happen, and especially for people who are listening to this who are musicians. Um, that like there is that sort of like road to Damascus moment where you th- might yeah. think you're down on your luck, and then it just all. Absolutely, and you know, and you, and that what you really need at that stage is is just someone's belief, you know, and and to talk about the money that that one puts down, that investment. She's saying, you know, because to make an album, if you want to make it beautifully, if you want to have an orchestra or or any you know string section or recording, Conway Studios in Los Angeles, which is the most beautiful place to get these incredible sonics, you know, it's going to take real belief to say, okay, you know, here you go, yeah, Um, I'm going to let you have that opportunity, particularly um, when it's so hard to really convey that, you know, I can play a few songs but until it's actually recorded it's a, it's all a bit of a gamble but she could have like just gone here's 50 quid buy yourself a midi machine we'll, we'll get you a plug in for some some for some <laughs> violins and some strings yeah, but, there you go yeah but back to bedlam was recorded in a very very organic way um you know with with live musicians and uh and uh and and you could really sense the emotion in it and so at that stage nothing in a computer would have made it sound yeah no I, I mean that does have a lot of belief but when it came out it looked like it was going to flop but like ended up becoming the biggest selling uh, biggest selling album of the noughties. Like what, yeah, what's well, it, when it first came out, like it didn't get the the massive shoot that it. Like, yeah, it ended well, up we, I had because you know that stage then. Now we're licensing it to a major record label, and and I'm on Atlantic Records at that stage. Um, and I had the discussion with them that I was very nervous about this thing that we are obsessed by in music now in the record in the music business which is first week sales yeah. and that seems to be everything and to me that seems like a madness why are we interested in second week sales because first week sales are just about how well you marketed it but second week sales <laughs> are like yeah. you know okay yeah. who bought it in the first week and, who told, and told their friends yeah. that it was good and their friends went and got it in the second week and so I said look please don't count the, count the first week sales um, I, you know I don't know a thousand people who could get this I know a couple of hundred my mum can buy me you know maybe <laughs> 300 copies but that's going to be the army we'll get the army to buy it yeah totally <laughs> there's loads of so we so we said, can I, you know, we agreed a plan that we'd just take it very gently, that we'd put this album out, we'd put out a, a song called High. We knew it wasn't our big, you know, our big one necessarily, but it, it was a nice song, which we which I loved and believed in. We put out Wise Men a couple of um, months later and that got the album into the top 20. Um, and then and then we got your beautiful down the line. And I kind of knew that that was the, you know, the moment that if it, it was going to explode, that was it. But fundamentally, it was about word of mouth and, and people enjoying it and not just on marketing. Where where like where where were the places that were playing that music back in like two thousand three? Like were you getting it played on radio stations on like on on TV and stuff like that? Like who were your early supporters? Uh, do you know what? Uh, for me, uh, I've been incredibly lucky that I've been uh, I've been picked up around the world in different places earlier I, than I have in the UK. So my biggest market to start off was Italy. Um, high straight away from the get go. Vodafone. I was on a Vodafone advert in uh, in Italy, and I and I go there, and the audience is just absolutely you know a mental. And I play that song, and they just go berserk. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and for me, it? you know, I've stuck it somewhere in the set, not even sure if I was going to play it, and I, and I always go, wow. Um, France early doors has been absolutely amazing. You know, Switzerland off the charts. You see, that does ha- like that does happen a lot with. Um, with pop male pop stars like, and it's been happening a lot recently as well. Like um like artists like Louis Capaldi and artists like James Arthur have done better in Europe. Uh, and sorry, Rag and Bone Man actually right, um have done really well in Europe and Germany and places totally. like that. And the UK won't touch them, and then they come back, and then the UK go mad for it. 
Yeah, totally. I don't understand it, but like it's 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 great to see. Yeah, I, I mean, and they're very much um, individual kind of markets. You know, the American market is one thing. The UK market is its own thing. And Europe, pretty much generally, is, is, is another one that you can say, oh, you know, you can have a big hit out in Europe and not necessarily in those other two markets. Yeah, like uh, you, Your Beautiful went to number one um, when it came out in the US. And it was the first number one from a British male singer since Elton John's Candle in the Wind. Um, which is like n- number one. That's massively crazy. But then, like now in two thousand and nineteen, you've got Lewis Capaldi who's just gone to number one in 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 the US. Yeah, it's great. Like, what 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 do you have advice for for him, or like, do you do you see parallels in what what you guys were doing? I mean, I'm sure he doesn't need any advice. But if I if he were here, I'd just say enjoy every minute of it. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, don't take it too seriously. Just love every minute. He doesn't need that advice. <laughs> what what he's rocking it. What does that open up? Because like I, I've spoke to many artists like uh, over over the years. I've I have definitely not spoke to many artists that have got got to number one in the US because that's a that's a whole different beast. I mean, not even Oasis or Blur, even back in the Britpop days, could get anywhere near it. Um, like, what sort of doors does that open to you? And like, when do you get some sort of like LA black card when you get to number one that you just like walk into the Phoenix Club and you're like yeah you usher, ushered to behind a velvet rope or something yeah, like that you, you do <laughs> you um, automatically have like rappers who are your friends who you've never met before yeah um, I can absolutely promise you it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life was it yeah I mean I then for it my second album I was then you know I was back living in Los Angeles I was living with Carrie Fisher at the time um, in uh, in Beverly Hills I think um, that I mean that's crazy by itself yeah like, and, uh, she's and, such a legend and uh, yeah just in you know in a crowd that you just see on TV the whole time and having just the most ridiculous way of life it was the most shallow ex- way of life and experience <laughs> but I loved it because I'm a very shallow person um, uh, you know LA is is a place that's full of star fuckers and, and, and I was a star who liked to be fucked um, <laughs> and uh, it was just uh, it was just an absolute blast and you know it sounds uh, like it would have been like fun for 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 the time that it was. Yeah, like, totally. And uh, you know, and I'd love coming back home to my mates and uh, you know, and just saying, "Fuck me, that was just an incredible yeah, time." Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I never felt like it was my way of life or me, but it was just great to so dip in and out of slipping on different skin for a little bit and going out and sort of like partying with like the the A listers for a while. I mean, it sounds fun for a good bit, like, but you got to come back to real life at some point, right? Yeah, totally. That's why I came back to the real life of living in Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told me um, that you've got like a, like a like a bar or a nightclub or something at the bottom of your house. Yeah, is that true? I, it's true. I, my band gave me this big neon sign saying "Blunty's Nightclub," where everybody's beautiful. <laughs> and so, and I've got this club there. And you know, the benefits of that is like your bedroom that is you know thirty meters away. So, it's... but surely, like you're the CEO, it's named after you. If if I'm like you know. If I'm working, you're working. If I'm going to bed, you're going to oh, bed. Oh no, if I'm absolutely partying, not. You're partying. No, I love. <laughs> I I love the fact that you know people can just crack on there, and um, I've. You know, I've been recording in Los Angeles, and uh, and I've you know I've opened uh, some kind of social media platform, Instagram, and seen people in my garden <laughs> uh, <laughs> having fun on another continent, uh, and and that's how it should be. Do you live on like the quiet side of it or the party side of it? Um, I live uh, kind of in the quiet area, but it's ten minutes door to door to Pasha, the most famous nightclub. Oh right, okay. Yeah. 
Um, and my song 1973 is is about Pasha. It was it, Pasha opened in in that year. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so as you go in, it says 1973 on the doorway, and I and I wrote it about there. And Pete Tong then remixed it and played it wow. in the club during his residency, and uh, and it's been a really special place for me. Do you have like a a resonance with techno and house music since you've moved out to? Ibiza? Um, yeah, I've performed in Ashwire um, out there. I, uh, I've sung with Kygo, um, which I pitied the audience. I mean, you know, <laughs> there you are. You're in Ibiza. You're rocking it. <laughs> you're charging. And at five to midnight, final song, who comes out but Blunt? With <laughs> his miserable, mopey little voice. Um, you think that's a real downer to the end, end the night. But, um, but I had an amazing time, uh, and and I loved it. It was an amazing experience, and uh, and I've uh, and I have a uh, my last hit um, throughout Europe, which wasn't played in in the UK because you because yeah. you guys have taste, is a song called <laughs> uh, "Okay" with a DJ called Robin Schultz. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Which actually, I my, I wrote it for my last album. And I didn't like it, you know. I just I recorded it. I didn't quite nail the recording in the way that I wanted to to fit in with everything else. And my record label said, "It's a hit. It's a hit. You've got to put it on." I said, "No, I'm not. I don't want to hear this song ever again. I want to throw this, and I never want to hear this bloody song ever again." And then I bumped into Robin Schultz, who said, "Hey, James, I've heard your song, and oh, I really think it's no, a hit. Right. And I'm messing with it. I'm going to put it out." And anyway, sure enough. You know, it's me singing. It's my song, but yeah. w- with with Robin Schultz magic and, a, and a, an EDM beat on it, and uh, and this thing was an a, was a smash throughout Europe, Australia, the American um, dance chart, and now I have to sing this song. I was going to say, like, 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 does it work backwards like that? Like, do you have to put that into your set? Now? I do, like, absolutely it, do. Do you, yeah. do. do you put it into your set in in the UK, or is it like just when you're playing in like? Genoa, or you're pl- playing in like I don't know Switzerland or yeah, Italy I mean, or I, Belgium. I, I think stuff at the Brits can hear it too now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah well, there's this magical thing called Spotify. <laughs> you should try it. It's great. But um, but yeah, I mean, actually, you know, at the end of the day, my record label right, and thank God for Robin Schultz. Well, there you go. That'll add another um, beer pump to your bar at the, yeah. b- the bottom of the garden, I reckon. Yeah. Um, so like we recorded this at the start of um, end of November, start of um, December, and it's kind of. Your odds-on favorite to be number one. This will not come out till January time. Do you reckon? Do you reckon we can we can do it? I say we like like I've actually you got anything to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think my song will be number one. No, but it is. I know it's the bookie's favorite to be it's number one. It's the bookie's one. favorite, yeah. And uh, and the Sun are running a campaign for it to be number one because I'm gonna give I'm giving all the all the um, proceeds from this song called Monsters yes. um, to Help for Heroes and the British Legion. And for me, I just had the most amazing experience. I I, I wrote it for my dad. Yeah. Um. He uh, he's got uh, ki- chronic kidney disease, and uh, yeah. and so I've been writing. Amazingly, along this journey of putting this song out, people have actually been offering him a kidney, which is just mind blowing, um, and incredibly touching. And their stories have, have uh, you know, have really been incredible. Um, and and so I wrote this song for him. It says, "I'm not your son. You're not my father. We're just two grown men saying goodbye. No need to forgive. No need to forget. I know your mistakes, and you know mine. Yeah. And uh, and I'm going to record That's a video powerful. with him uh-huh. uh, tomorrow. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so yeah, and so anyway, I played it at the Royal Albert Hall in front of the royal family, in front of the all, you know all the politicians and the, and the, the, all these soldiers, and some of them with these bereaved families, which again their stories were incredible. And my dad in the audience, and the response was so amazing. So uh, and then Chris Evans picked up on it and said, "Look, I'm going to play it all the, all the way before Christmas." And and so yeah, people are backing it to be number one. I know it won't be, but it's incredible support. It's it's well, I mean, as long as it's getting it out there, but like I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't bat against you at this at this, at this stage other. Well, like I know I. I read well, we've got the Robbie song, you yeah. Know, and, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, this, they, 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 that song off the album seems to be one of the ones that 
people have latched onto the most. Um, it seems to be the most one of the more sort of probably the most like critically acclaimed track yeah. off off the record. Yeah, very much. People. It's it's a super raw song. Um, and yeah, you can hear that the you can hear the sadness in it. Really, I got to, I also got to record it in the Guards Chapel on Birdcage Birdcage Walk, which is just by Buckingham Palace. In a, you know this old chapel I'd I'd uh, been in when I was in the army. Um, and they rented it to me for twenty eight pounds. Which is <laughs> <laughs> that seems very very yeah, specific. Yeah, pretty I'll good give going. you thirty. No, I want twenty eight. Uh, yeah, and and I got to use uh, the Trinity Boys Choir who sang with me, and uh, and it just sounded absolutely incredible the whole experience was amazing oh, they'll, they'll be looking for more than 28 pounds now <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're a doctor of music now do, does that mean that we have to call you Dr. Blunt um, I, uh, Dr. Blunt sounds, like a, rap, sounds yeah. like a rapper doesn't it totally I think it's the, I feel fraudulent <laughs> being asked uh, so I, I I get my wife to call me Dr. Blunt but I don't insist on anyone else I feel it. like I because I've got like uh, two friends one's a dentist and another's a doctor and they've worked for about maybe 12 years to get that and so it seems that. fairly insulting and, and I, I'd love it if I would, like, was ever offered something like that just so I could do it just totally. to them I felt fairly insulting <laughs> too I had to go to Bristol University which was where I went and uh, and they uh, and they all these other doctors having done five years worth of studying to get there to become doctors um, were there and then I turn up and they spoke to me about, what's up guys yeah they spoke from it to, about me for about ten minutes to, to really kind of explain my lifetime achievements which we all know was really just a 30 a three minute 30 second song <laughs> um, and uh, and it was acutely embarrassing but I'm but I'm touched and flattered and I did have an amazing time at Bristol University so if you're listening and thinking about which uni you get to go to go to Bristol Boom. And, I, and that's my job done um you would be the last person I would call upon if I was having like a, a an episode on a plane. I'd be like, "Is there a doctor in the house?" And yeah, you stick your hand up. I'd be like, "Medical doctor." <laughs> yeah. Although I'm fairly good, you know, at, at CPR, I'm willing to give. It oh, a but go. to be fair, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. I, 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 I take it back. I'll to be honest, my... I hope I, I live till the end of this um, <laughs> interview, so we don't have to find out. Um, so what? Like, what is what does 2020 hold? Is it is it is it like flat out tour season now? I start um, a a world tour on Valentine's Day, which will go down well at home because I'll be up at a, in an arena. I think I'm probably in uh, Nottingham Arena. Then I go to Newcastle, Birmingham. Where else am I doing? I think I'm doing Leeds or Hull or somewhere around there. But I'm doing the UK to begin with, mm. finishing in the Albert Hall in London. I'll be off around the world. Um, that's 2020. I've just bought a pub, um, uh, which oh, wow. I'm opening in, uh, which I've opened in London. It's in Chelsea, called the Fox and Pheasant. Um, and uh, and so you can catch me sometimes behind the bar pulling pints. Do you do good Guinness? We do really good Guinness. There's a there's an Instagram page that I follow for the last couple of weeks, and it's um, shit pints of Guinness in London, right? And it's Guinness in like Foster glasses, Brilliant. Stella Artois glasses, yeah. massive heads on them. Yeah. So just 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 for me, just for me, just get 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 the staff trained on a decent pint of Guinness. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe I will get a picture of me cocking up a pint of Guinness <laughs> and send it to you so you can send it to the There you Instagram go, that's page. some good marketing. Um, James, thank you so much for um, taking the time out and good luck with the record and the pub and everything in uh, the future. Thank you so much, it's great to be here with you. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.